So it's been pretty busy, and actually, uh, the, first, the first night that I moved in there, um, this is the first house that I've lived in kind of on my own. I've always lived with roommates. You know, growing up, I lived with my parents, um, obviously. Uh, so it's my, first, it's my first time living on my own in a basement suite here. And, you know, it's a little weird. It's, uh, it's a little weird being alone, but it's all good. And actually, the first night uh, when I was... Um, I was in there and, you know, getting used to it, and I was in the shower. And don't worry, this will be safe, safe for ears. Won't get too graphic here. And uh, so I'm showering, and I hope you all know how showers work. You're, you're in there, you're doing your thing, you're figuring out all of life's greatest mysteries. I'm thinking about the plumbing problems, you know, all the complicated life things that need to be solved when you're in the shower. And uh, so I'm doing my thing, and out of the corner of my eye, actually, I look over, and I thought I saw some movement. And uh, so I look over, and I don't see anything, and I think, well, I'm just going a little crazy. It's my first time in a new house. It's all good. So I go back to showering. You know, I'm thinking, oh, man, that would have been a great comeback for that bully about 10 years ago. If only I'd remembered that. And then I see movement again over by the door, and I... My brain at this point just starts going wild because, you know, this is how horror movies start. This is like the start of a horror movie. I'm in there by myself. There's no one else around. I don't know what's going on. And I'm trying to look through the glass. The glass is like a, the glass on the door is kind of that fogged, wavy glass that you can't really see through. And, and so I start looking through and I think, no, there's got to be something over there. And then all of a sudden, my eyes can see clearly and I see the a little boy's head peeking through the door. <laughs> and it quickly ducks out, and I hear the pitter-patter of uh, little feet running out my front door. And so I guess what happened is upstairs, there's a single mom living with a couple kids, and I guess what happened that I can think, I hope at least, is that uh, maybe they were outside. This boy, her kids are pretty young, about between the age of 5 to 10. There's a few of them. So what I can think is that maybe one of them just had to go to the bathroom or got confused. It's a new house for them too and didn't know what door was his and he ran in and maybe, I don't know, or maybe I was thinking maybe it was like Sandlot style where they thought I was like the monster next door and this little boy was the unfortunate one that had to run in and see if he got eaten. So I don't know what happened, but uh, either way, it gave me quite the scare. So that's been... Uh, kind of my life for the past couple of weeks here, and um, and you know they teach you. Well, I don't know who they do, but someone teaches you that you should tell a funny story at the beginning to grab your attention. So now that I got all your attention, <laughs> you're going to be very attentive and listen for the next couple hours. And uh, no, just kidding. I won't go too long here. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. I pray that you would. Uh, just bless me this morning, bless my words, and, and uh, if something isn't true, Lord, then to not allow it to come out of my mouth. And I pray that these words would go forth and, and bless all the people here. Amen. So let's turn to Jude, the epistle of Jude. I'm going to go big today. I'm going to go through a whole book in one morning. Jude chapter 1, the penultimate book in the Bible, which is a big word I learned this week, which means the second to last book of the Bible. Second to last. So just before Revelation, you have Jude, 
And as you're turning there, I'm just going to throw a bit of uh, a bit of knowledge your way about Jude, because sometimes it's I found having a bit of context about when the letter was written, who it was written to, written to who wrote it, uh, can give you some awesome insight into what the letter is about. So the book of Jude is one chapter, 25 verses long, written sometime between 60 to 75 A.D. Uh, Jude was also the, actually the stepbrother of Jesus, so he was raised in the same home as Jesus. And unfortunately, that's about all the hard evidence we know about Jude. But we can go a little bit deeper by looking at what was going on in the land around the time, sometime between 60 to 75 uh, A.D. So by about 60 A.D., the church around that time, it's in full swing. This is, the disciples have gone to all the lands. They've shared the good news. And, uh, but it's not without its hiccups, though, because the persecution of Christians is also in full swing. Uh, the Roman Empire is strong. King Nero's in power. And King Nero, actually, if you know anything about him, he was rumored to be a little crazy. There's rumors that he would dip Christians in oil and burn them at night for his candles. Uh, there was a, the great fire in Rome in 64 AD. Uh, rumor is that he started it actually himself, or, and, but he blamed it on the Christians. And then in AD 70, actually, the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem, eventually breaking through its walls and systematically marching through the city to the temple and burning it to the ground. And so that for the second time, the temple in Jerusalem was burned to the ground. So we can see that there was some serious stuff going on at the time that Jude wrote this letter amongst the church and even just amongst the Roman Empire. So let's start in Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So like all good letters, Jude starts by addressing the reader, who it's to and a greeting, and Jude starts and, he starts and ends his letter with some uplifting and encouraging words. He kind of makes, in this book of Jude, he kind of makes a nice big sandwich, one of those big sandwiches where you just have to unhinge your jaw just to get it in your mouth and eat it. You know, the ones where they're, they're just full of meat, they're full of good stuff, they're messy, there's stuff in there that makes you wonder, what am I eating? What is going on here? It's all kind of confusing. And then by the end of it, you're done, and you don't know what happened, but you're full. And that's kind of what this book of Jude is going to be like here. You'll notice a few times uh, in verse 1 there, we, we see the word beloved. You'll notice a few times that he uses the word beloved pretty often in uh, the book here, in his letter. And I'm just going to pause for a minute on this word, actually. And don't worry, I'm not going to do a word study the whole way through, but I just couldn't pass this word up. The word beloved is an awesome word. It single-handedly expresses the grace and love of God in one word. It's a gospel message. It actually is a gospel message all wrapped up just in one single word. Beloved, uh, the dictionary term of beloved means literally dearly loved. And the awesome thing about the word beloved is that it's actually an expression of God's unconditional love. If we break it down, be loved. It's the kind of love where, it's not the kind of love where it's conditional, where, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's just a simple free act. Be loved by God through the act of Jesus Christ. 
So right off the top, Jude prefaces his teachings on false teachers with the thought of just, hey, sit back and just rest in the fact that you are to be loved unconditionally through the acts of Jesus Christ. And then he ends his introduction here with, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3, beloved, there it is again, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So who knows what was going on here uh, in the time that made Jude change his mind actually about what to write about. He maybe he heard of some rumblings in the church going on. Maybe the Holy Spirit led him to start writing and then the Holy Spirit said, nope, you're going to change what you're writing about. And maybe it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have seen, it's gone kind of unnoticed. In our front entry there, we have a little sign that uh, says, if all else fails, try doing what the captain suggested. So maybe Jude uh, decided to try doing what the the captain came to him and suggested some things for him to do. And so in the next 13 verses here, Jude's going to do a couple things. He's going to, one, make it clear to us that we are going to be judged. And number two, he's going to make it clear that we need to fight the good fight right to the end. So let's jump into verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So, of course, first Sunday, why not talk about false teachers? It's a good one to start with. Uh, Jude here in this starting off, verse 4, he identifies certain people. And you're going to see these certain people talked about for most of the rest of the text. He identifies certain people who have come into the church. And slowly but surely, you know, over time, they've started to pervert the the grace of God. It's kind of like, speaking of showers, it's kind of like when you're in the shower and, uh, you know, you first get in and it's a good hot temperature and then you kind of look over and you nudge it a little bit hotter and then you nudge it a little bit hotter and then just a little bit more until all of a sudden you realize, I can't get any more hotter. My shower is pumping out 140 degree Fahrenheit water into my face. And that's kind of what it's like with these people slowly but surely coming in and perverting the grace of God. And nowadays we have this more than ever, don't we? You know, we have, we have pastors marrying gay people. We have pastors hanging Buddhist prayer flags up in their office. We have, we have kids in elementary school uh, that are calling themselves transgendered. And, and, you know, it's, it's when did all this stuff become okay? It's slowly but surely over time come in. And, you know, when I was younger, like last week, no. Uh, I, used to just, I used to just live my life without thinking about anything. And then at the end of the day, I'd get home, get into bed, and say a quick, you know, God, forgive me of all the things I've done today. You know, maybe speak some Christianese, say some, say some speak some words in tongues, you know, Yamaha, Toyota, Suzuki, stuff like that. And think, all is good. Grace has me covered. And I'm, I'm sure that's what some of these false teachers are thinking here that Jude talks about. You know, they're probably saying, hey, God is good. He's gracious. Don't you know all the miracles he did for people when he was on earth? And, and you know, I say the right things. So what could be wrong? You don't know me. Only God can judge me. So what's Jude's response? Starting in verse 5, uh, Jude references a few Old Testament 
writings and stories to actually respond to these certain people. Verse 5, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So in Numbers, we have the story of God's people being led out of Egypt by Moses, but in the text here, in verse 5, it talks of actually Jesus being the one who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. And we don't actually hear of Jesus too often in the Old Testament, but what's awesome is if we actually take a look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So we actually see Jesus here in the Old Testament at work through the life-giving rock that followed the people of Israel and supplying life-giving water, which is, in my mind, a perfect picture of the New Testament Jesus as well, being crucified for our sins, giving us everlasting life. And in John chapter 4, verse 14, the idea of drinking the water that Jesus gives us so that we may never be thirsty again. So Jesus was with his people, guiding and leading them through the land, heading to the promised land, performing miracles, supplying them with water and food, leading them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. But we all know what happened to those people, don't we? They grumbled, they complained, they were quick to make false idols. And in the end, in Numbers 14, verse 29, we learn that everyone listed in the census from the age of 20 upwards did not make it into the promised land. Because of their grumbling, because of their complaining, their lack of faith, they were judged and found guilty and unable to enter the promised land. Jude uses this Old Testament story as a reminder to us to push through to the end. You know, uh, times can be tough. I'm actually reminded of what we were talking about today about Neil and Debbie. Um, I'm just in awe sometimes of how every update that we get from those guys are just soaked in uh, giving glory to God. They're, they're soaked in the reminder that God is good and and it's just an awesome reminder of, man, when times get tough, you need to avoid losing your inheritance of heaven by getting caught up in the grumbling and complaining of men towards God, lest you also be barred entry into the promised land. So here's a second reference that Jude talks about from the Old Testament. Uh, verse 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Now, I'm going to be honest here. When I first read this, this uh, was a confusing one. <laughs> I needed a bit of commentary help on this one. So I'll try and give it to you as clearly and as simple as I can from what I understand here. So if we flip to, flip to Genesis chapter 6 quickly, keep your thumb in Jude. If we go to chapter 6, verse 1, Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, uh, we have the story of Noah. And in verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, 
and they took as their wives any they chose. So then flip back to Jude, uh, <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 6. The idea here is that there is a group of angels that actually saw unnatural beauty, and by unnatural meaning an angel having relations with a human. They saw unnatural beauty in the daughters of men, and they actually left their proper dwelling place, presumably dwelling in heaven. They went down to earth, and they had unnatural relations with humans that actually resulted in abnormally long-living wicked humans. In Genesis chapter 6 there, if you read on a little bit more, it talks about um, God having desiring men to only live 120 years, and these men that resulted from these unnatural relations were living long, long time. And just in like manner to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7, which indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So it's actually pretty interesting here that... Um, the idea of the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah are kind of paralleling themselves pretty perfectly. Did you guys know that at one time, actually, we know of Sodom and Gomorrah as the cities where sexual sin was going on, things were running rampant, and just God was not present in those cities. But did you know that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah actually were one time very beautiful cities? It says they had flowing rivers and luscious greens, and... You know, when you think about that, it's, it reminds me of how easy it is to, easy and dangerous even it is to, to fall into sin when things are going well. Life is good. The weather's great outside. Maybe you get a raise at work. Maybe you got a new job. Maybe you get to preach at church for the first time on a Sunday. And, uh, and you start to let your guard down. I'm reminded of how awesome it has been the past four weeks. If you guys haven't come to Wednesday nights at Chaster House, you have one more chance. We've been going through the book of Ruth. And for those of you who haven't been there, um, I love the, the part of, about Boaz. When he looks in the field and looks over and says, hey, who's that beautiful woman over there? And rather than running and over and falling into sin, which he very could have easily done because we know that Boaz was rich, he was powerful, he was... He had fields, he had men working under him. He goes through the proper channels to marry Ruth. He doesn't fall into sexual immorality. He meets with ten elders. He does it all publicly and makes sure all is good. He gets all his ducks in a row. And God actually blesses him for that, that we know that he ends up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so it's a reminder of, of how we need to stick it out to the end. We need to go through the proper channels. And if God has bound the angels up in eternal chains, like we just read, uh, who are we to think that we can just get off scot-free? Verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So this one again is a bit of an odd one. So we have the archangel Michael, 
uh, fighting the devil over Moses' body. And to be honest, uh, I don't really have any idea why he was fighting the devil over Moses' body. But the one thing that we know about the Archangel Michael is that that dude comes to fight. Every time we see the Archangel Michael in the Bible, he's in, locked in some sort of battle. He's got his game face on, and he's ready to fight. And then also all we know is that Moses, Moses died in Moab, and he was buried there. And at some point, the devil and Michael were locked in a battle over his body. But the real takeaway here is that the fact that the awesome and mighty battle master Archangel Michael, he could probably very easily use his own strength to overpower Lucifer, but instead he calls on the Lord's name to fight. Do you know how easy it is? Not easy. Do you know how hard it is for me to not get distracted by the human trinity, the trinity of me, myself, and I? These certain men that Jude talks of, they've defiled the flesh, they've rejected the authority of God, and blasphemed the glorious ones. Unlike Michael, they're using their own dreams and their human authority. And as verse 10 goes on, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. You know, I heard an awesome story from Brian and Julie about a month ago. Um, Brian and Julie, who moved up to Kamloops to plant a church. Uh, They were in limbo for a little bit uh, after they sold their house. They hadn't quite been able to move up to Kamloops, so they were actually staying at Jerry and Rini's house for a little bit. And if you remember, about a month ago, there was a a period of a week where it seemed like we were getting thunderstorms and lightning and almost every night, and it was pretty crazy. So Brian and Julie, they have this big old sweet yellow lab named Riley, and... uh, and, you know, Riley's all feeling flustered because he's in a new environment. He's, he's, it was just been storming the night before. And I think even that day they had drove to Chilliwack to visit Brian's parents. And the way they explain it is the next morning at, at Brian's parents' house, they're, uh, they wake up in the morning and they go to give Riley, after it had been thundering all night and Riley's one of those big dogs where on the outside he's a big dog, but on the inside he's like climbing under and getting stuck under the bed anytime lightning comes, you know, those kind of dogs. And so they go to give Riley a bowl of, a bowl of water in the morning and, and feed him or whatever. And, and the way they explain it is that literally within 20 seconds, Riley the dog comes over and drinks this whole bowl of water. And, you know, whether you're a dog or a human, if you drink that much water in 20 seconds, what goes down must come up. And about 20 seconds later, Riley proceeded to then throw all of this water up onto Brian's parents' living room floor. And Jude here relates these certain men to Brian's dog. These men are so short-sighted and unable to see past the present moment. They just do what instinct tells them to do. I see water. I want the water. I'm going to drink all that water. And they're actually destroyed by all that they understand instinctively. They're unable to stop and wait a moment and think, is this actually what God has planned for me? 
and this is this what God wants for me. Instead, they just go ahead, they run rampant, destroying themselves in the process, kind of like a bull in a china shop. In verse 11, Jude continues in the Old Testament theme. This time he gives three examples of certain men who fit the attributes of what we just talked about. Verse 11 goes, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So we saw three people in this verse who I'm going to touch on lightly. Uh, I'll let you guys go home and read further if you want. Uh, more in depth this week about each of these people that Jude talks about. So first we have the story of Cain. Cain is in Genesis chapter 4, but if we go to take a look, we'll just take a brief look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, we get some awesome insight into um, what went on with Cain. So Hebrews 11 verse 4 says, By faith Abel, who's Cain's brother, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So there's a couple differences here in Cain and Abel's um, offering, their sacrifice. Abel's was a blood sacrifice. He was known as, he was kind of taking care of the animals, and Cain's was an offer of grain, and he was known as, the brother who took care of the land. But the real difference here is that Cain's sacrifice was in faith. Cain's sacrifice was without faith, whereas Abel's was full of faith. Cain's was empty and void. And without faith, all that we do is an unpleasing aroma to God. We could be following all the rules. We could be tithing the proper amount at church. We could be showing up Sunday morning we could be going to Wednesday night church. We could be doing, doing youth group on Friday nights or helping with Sunday school on Sunday mornings. But doing all these works without faith, it won't get us anywhere. No more do we have to offer a sacrifice at an altar. Simply through faith in Jesus Christ, we are received freely into heaven. Next, in verse 11 there, Jude talks of the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now, the bulk of Balaam's story is in Numbers uh, chapter 22 to 25. But in a nutshell, what happened is, as the Israelites are advancing towards Moab, they've just defeated the Amorites. King Balak, the leader of the Moabites, he's kind of quivering in his boots because he's heard of all the things that um, the people of Israel have done, that they have God's blessing. And so he calls to a prophet Balaam. He calls to Balaam to curse Israel as they advance towards him. Now, on the surface, Balaam seems to do all the right things. He first asks what God should do. He prays. And God actually answers him saying, hey, stay away from this King Balak guy. He's not a good dude. But you know what? The power of greed and the love of money grabbed hold of Balaam, and he decided, no, I don't think I'm going to listen to God in this one. So we know the story. Upon unsuccessfully cursing Israel four times, uh, he goes to King Balak and goes, listen, this is what you got to do if the price is right. So King Balak, you know, whips out his wallet, writes a check, 
leaves it empty, leaves it blank, write in whatever you want, you tell me what to do, and you'll get paid. So Balaam gets paid, and he tells King Balak to send his women, his young, beautiful women, down to the tribe of Israel and lead them into sexual immorality. And so Balaam's greed and desire for money and wealth hardened his heart. He didn't listen to God's voice, and ultimately he led others into sin, causing a plague of judgment to come upon Israel that actually killed 24,000. So lastly here in verse 11, Jude talks of the rebellion of Korah. The story of Korah is in Numbers chapter 16. Korah was a well-known man in the land of Israel. He, he was a Levite. Um, he went one day to Moses and he said, Hey, Moses, listen, you got a lot on your plate here. You're a busy guy. Pass some of that responsibility over to me and my friends and we'll take care of it. We got it covered. You see, Korah is kind of like the human version of Lucifer. <laughs> he started getting jealous of Moses and his authority. He started seeking attention and he started trying to take more than he was given. You know, Jesse, who typically will play the drums here, uh, Jesse says one of my favorite quotes about music. Sometimes the best note to play is a rest. Nothing at all. And you know what? That's true. Korah was trying to make noise where he wasn't supposed to make noise. He had a role in ministry as a Levite already, but he just wasn't satisfied with what he had, and he wanted more. And actually, if you read on, I'm not going to go too far into it, but if you read on more into the story, uh, Moses proposes a test before the Lord about who is to represent them, me or Korah. And God actually tells Moses to take a step back and the earth opens up underneath Korah. He go, falls in. And then God sends fire down from above, burning up all of Korah's supporters. It's a wild story. You should go home and read it after. It's quite the... It's pretty crazy. So all these men here that Jude talks about, they come from different areas in life. Cain, he was a farmer. Balaam, he was a prophet. And Korah, who was a Levite, actually appointed in ministry. And so no matter what we do, whether we're plumbers or we're pastors, we need to always be vigilant in keeping in line with God. We need to keep short accounts with God so as to make sure that, that we're following his desires for us. Let's continue on in verse 12 here with some final comments as to what these certain men are like. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So just like now we have potlucks and gatherings and... It's always an awesome time to fellowship. Uh, back in the day, they had the same thing that they would call love feasts. And Jude would say that these certain men, uh, they would come to these love feasts with nothing to bring, nothing to offer, and they would then proceed to glutton themselves upon all that they could shove in their mouth, gladly partake in all that. They're like clouds without water, giving no water for the crops. They're like wandering stars, you know, I learned this week, they actually didn't have Google Maps back in the day. So they had to use the stars. And what good is a wandering star going to and fro 
leading all that follow astray. Jude goes on in verse 14, and he talks of the judgment that these certain men will receive when the day of judgment comes. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So I think these people are ungodly, from what I can see. Jude references Enoch's prophecy here. And although we, Enoch doesn't actually have a book in the Bible, uh, we learn about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. This guy, Enoch, this guy was a real man of God. In Genesis chapter 5, uh, it goes through the lineage of Adam to Noah. We see that Enoch is the seventh descendant of Adam, the great-grandfather of Noah. And as you go down the list, you know, it lists all the fathers and their sons, and then their fathers and their sons. And at the end of almost every line, it says, and then they died at the ripe age of whenever. Except for Enoch, who actually doesn't say he dies. It says he walks with God at the ripe age of 300. So we can see that Enoch is, you know, even though he doesn't have a book in the Bible, this guy was a man to be trusted. And in Enoch's prophecy, he lays it out pretty clearly. The Lord is coming with 10,000 holy ones to execute judgment and convict the ungodly. Now, if that doesn't make you wet your pants a little bit, then I don't know what will. (laughs) He stresses how important it is that all will be judged. No man, no angel, no being is able to escape the judgment to come. And I don't know about you, but I plan on being on the good side of that judgment. An interesting thing to note um, in verse 16, actually, is that these are grumblers, malcontents, loudmouth boasters, and there's one thing that they all have in common. These things are all outward vocal attributes. A man can talk the talk, but when it comes down to it, can he walk the walk? You know one big thing that God loves? He loves the things that happen behind the scenes, the things that you do to please God rather than man. You know, people come faithfully every week to clean this church. And, you know, at the pig roast, there's one thing I hate more than anything is when you're having a fun time, the fun times come to an end, and you've got to clean up. And, you know, I remember at that pig roast, there was a few guys there that were just elbow deep in, I don't know what was in those pig roasters, but they were scrubbing who knows what out of those roasters so that they could be clean, basically spit shining those things. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that God sees. It's not the outward vocal attributes of, of man-pleasing desires. It's, it's the stuff behind the scenes that God sees. And now Jude starts his end, he starts to end his letter with a call to perseverance. Verse 17. But you, res, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. 
So Jude makes a claim to us to remember, unlike these other certain men did, remember the predictions of the apostles. What did they predict? They predicted that there will be scoffers. Some versions actually say, say sensual men, which like we read earlier, following their own ungodly passions, sensual in the idea of literally following their senses. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it pleases my senses, that's what I'm going to do. And we just heard of the judgment to come at the end of the days so that I don't get bound in eternal chains. How can I prevent myself from becoming a man who follows my senses and blaspheming all that I don't understand? In verse 20, Jude goes on, But you, beloved, there's beloved again, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Rather than going out and attacking these certain men, Jude tells us to look inward. We need to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need to keep yourself in the love of God. And we need to wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to constantly be in the word, the Bible. Keep your accounts short with God. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching like iron sharpening iron. You know, I hope none of you, well, I hope kind of, I hope none of you trust what I say up here and what Matt says up here and just take it for granted. I hope you guys go home and confirm it for yourself that you read the text, read the text that we went through today and, and pray and ask God to reveal things to you too because you shouldn't trust what I say. <laughs> You need to hide God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. You know, this text actually, going through it the past about week here, uh, it's actually challenged me to, to memorize scripture because of the fear of leading others into sin. And, you know, a great way to start that is uh, for the past few years, we've been going through the 2-7 series and they have an awesome set of flashcards so talk to Matt or myself and we can get you hooked up if you're interested in learning some, memorizing some scripture. You know, God's coming back, like Enoch's prophecy. And with him will bring judgment. So we need to prepare ourselves. As if we were going to court, you wouldn't just show up unprepared, would you? We need to prepare ourselves for his return and make sure that we're right with God. Is there sin in your life? Find a... Find a man or woman in Christ who can help you through that. Be your confidant, someone to keep you accountable. Have faith in God. Be loved through the love of Christ. But Jude, what about others? What can I do for others? You know, there's people out there that need help. In verse 22, he goes on, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. On those who are doubting or wavering in their faith, show mercy. Don't go over and be one of those corner preachers and smack people on the head with the Bible. Those people need love and compassion to work through their doubt. They need to be shown the same mercy to them that God shows you. We need to save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You know, sometimes we have to do the tough stuff with fear snatching people out of the fires of hell, calling on the Lord to fight for you and the doubters. It's important here that Jude adds this because 
it's important that we don't get too caught up by looking inward uh, and our own well-being and making sure we're, I mean, it's important first to make sure you're right with God, but it's also important to look after your brother or sister. Don't leave them by the wayside lest they waver and not make it to the end with you. So Jude finishes here with, with a doxology. And now I'm going to be honest, I honestly didn't realize there was such thing as a doxology other than what we sang today. So I looked it up and I found out that doxology simply means an expression of praise to God. So actually, I'm going to invite the band up as I finish up here. And I'm actually going to let this doxology sell itself a little bit here. Verse 24 goes on. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Friends, I don't know what your guys' life is like, you know, whether you're currently having a tough time, uh, you know, maybe you're right now you're walking through the sands of the desert like the Israeli people. Maybe you're starting to doubt a little bit. Maybe you're feeling a little lost. Maybe you're on the opposite end. Maybe you're feeling high. Maybe life is good. Um, you know, maybe you're doing better than you could ever imagine. But it, no matter where you are, it all comes back to one thing. Jesus. Run to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. When the week gets tough this week coming up, and you're feeling lost, you don't know what to do, go to the Word. Pray to God. Pray to the, in the Holy Spirit to the one who has majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and forever and will give you rest. Be loved by Jesus. Rest in the fact that through your faith, faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, he took your place on the cross, being the one and for all sacrifice. You don't need to worry about the judgment to come if you're right with God. Just be loved. So Lord, thank you that we don't have to make a sacrifice anymore on the altar, Lord, that, that you sent your son as the one and final human sacrifice for our sins. Thank you that we can come to you, that we can just rest in being loved through Jesus Christ that through our faith, we can stand strong. Amen.